Thank you for that. That was amazing. Um, yep. All right. It's going to be a fun night. Um, I'm excited about um, the opportunity to be preaching tonight. Uh, I spoke with Pastor a number of weeks ago, and he asked me to speak on this subject. And uh, this is not a normal subject that you hear a lot of times in churches, but honestly, I think that's the reason we have such a problem uh, in today's society. I think that's why we have such a problem uh, with our younger generations, the, the families, and, and so many people falling apart. So I'm going to ask you to do this. Buckle up. There's a lot of information, and I'm going to ask the Lord to just bless us and, and help us to get through this tonight. So if you would, turn your Bibles with me to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, and we'll begin to read in verse 13, verse 13. As you're turning there, let me ask you this question. Or actually, just think back, um, if you would, to a situation where you are expecting something to be a certain way. Something you're like, oh yeah, this is what's going to happen. And then you get to the end of that situation, and it doesn't happen. Now I want you to use your mind's eye. Are you ready for this? You're hungry. Maybe you're hangry, okay? Maybe you just have a hankering for something, and you're like, oh, I need to get some good food, but you don't have time for that. No. So you go to your favorite fast food restaurant, and you pull up, and you're excited about this. You're like, mmm, I'm so hungry. I need this. I need it now. And so you go up to the window where you have the little box and the bright screens and all the food that you could pick, and you don't even need to look at it. You don't even have to look at it. Why? Because you know. You know exactly what you're going to get. And so you tell them your order. They repeat it back to you. It's there on the screen. And then you pull up to that next window. And that is the window where you pay for the food. Now, maybe you grab your wallet, your purse, whatever it is. You get the money out. You give it to them. They give it back. You get the receipt. And it tells you exactly what you ordered, right? And so you're excited because the next window is where it's all going to happen. That's right. You pull up to the pick up window and you're excited you're foaming from the mouth a little bit right you can you can taste it almost and then you walk up to not not to walk up because you can't do that in a drive-thru you drive up to the next window and there is that person and they're probably not smiling because it's a fast food restaurant but you're smiling at them and you're saying how's your day and they give you the bag of food they give you the straws they give you the drinks and then you pull away and you shed a little bit of a tear, a little glisten down the cheek. And you're like, yes, this is it. And you put your hand in the bag. And you know where I'm going with this. And you want to grab those golden, hot, crispy fries. And they're not there. What do you do? You scream. You cry. You run back. And you say, how could this happen? Now, let me tell you about this. This is the way a drive through is supposed to work. You go to the window. You place your order. You pay for that order. And you pick up the food. Now, I'm not making this up. That is the way it's designed. But many times we don't get that, right? All right? And why? Why does that happen? Why do we get so frustrated when something is not expected to happen the way it's designed? Because it's designed that way. There was one time um, I was in high school. And uh, I'm telling on myself because why not, right? So I was in high school, and I bought myself an airsoft gun. And I was really excited about this. My friend Gil and I did. And it was a clear pistol. And it worked for about a week, right? And it was, it was great. However, after that week, it started, anytime I shot, I had to push it over to the right and aim to the right just a little bit because it always shot crooked to the left. Always did. I don't know why. So after a year and a half of having this, I was telling people, I was practicing, shooting squirrels, shooting gun, uh, the cans, doing all these fun things. And I told somebody at church about it, and I said, this is what happens every time, guaranteed, no doubt. And they said, I don't believe you. Now, what do I have to do at that moment? I have to prove them wrong. 
So I go to my car. I get my airsoft pistol out. And I, I go to the hill of the church. And it just so happens my brother's there. And I say, Matt, I want you to stand at the bottom of this hill. And so he does. And I say, Matt, now you know this gun, and I know this gun. We both know this gun. And you'll know that it always shoots to the left. He's like, right. I said, now this is what I want you to do. I want you to stand there, and I'm going to shoot at you, and it's going to miss you. And he's like, no. I said, no, we're going to do it. He's like, no, it's not going to happen. I said, Matt, you know this gun. It's going to happen. It's going to be amazing, right? And so we do that, right? He, somehow I talked him into it. So he's standing at the bottom of the hill. I'm at the top of the hill, have the airsoft gun, and I aim straight, straight for the forehead, right? So if I, if I aim straight for the forehead, where is it going to go? To the left, all right? To the left, except this time. <laughs> After a year and a half of having this gun, there must have been some angel holding that pellet as it just went straight for the first time. Again, in a year and a half, right in the middle of the forehead. And needless to say, I got in trouble for it. I was not allowed to bring the airsoft gun to church anymore. It was a huge ordeal. Why? Because when we expect something to do something that it's designed to do, and it doesn't do it, we get in a pickle or we just lose our minds, right? But let me tell you tonight that our God has a purpose, and has a design in all that he does. But the enemy wants to destroy that design. He, he wants to battle hard to do everything he can to destroy that. And where God offers us perfection and structure, the devil offers us havoc and chaos. And I want you to understand tonight that the battle that is raging is a battle that is over you. But tonight, I want you to see that this battle can be won. It's not a lost cause. This is not something that we just have to tuck our head and, and just go for. No, this is something that we can win with the Lord's help if we stand, protect, and fight for purity. So look with me now at James chapter 1. Stand with me for the reading of God's word if you're able to. James chapter 1 verse 13, the Bible says this, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. If you would, read verse 14 and 15 along with me. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful for your word. We're thankful that you are a God of design. And you have a purpose for us, Lord. And I pray as we dive into your word, Lord, that we see this design. And you would just convict us and teach us, Lord, what you would have for us to do. Lord, where there's sin fix it, Lord. Help us to have repentance and get our hearts right to serve you. Fill me with your spirit tonight as I speak. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. If you're taking notes, the first truth that we are going to see tonight is that God has a purpose. God has a purpose. A purposeful design. God is a, has a specific design for everything that he does. Look with now Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. The Bible says this, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Verse 27, So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created him, he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every thing, living thing that moveth upon the earth. Our God 
has a specific design for every single thing that he created and that exists. He did not just stand up from his heavenly throne and say, let there be, and then just let this all throw us into chaos. That's not what he did because our God is a God of design. He's a God of structure. He's a God of perfection. He is a sovereign God and a God who is involved in the workings of his creation. And because of this, because it is his creation, he would know what its purpose is and what's best for his creation, right? That this is not new information, right? We wouldn't understand that because this, when you buy a new device, you buy something, maybe it's a phone, maybe it's a TV, maybe it's something, whatever it is, you buy it, what do you do? You trust the manufacturer, the person who designed it, to help maintain it to make it work, right? Because that makes sense, because they designed it, because they created this device, the phone, whatever it is, they would know how it works. I know you know this, because that's why you spend three hours at a time on a phone on hold with somebody from a different country to find out how it works, right? But the same thing's true of our God. The same thing is true of our God, because He is the one who, who created us, who designed us. He is the one who would know what is best for us. In the beginning, God designed us perfect and without sin. We were to live out our days in service to him, his creation, and reproduce children to do the same. But yet man, in his selfishness, in his pride, he destroyed that. We quite literally took filth and dirt and sin and we threw it at the white canvas, which is God's creation. And now because of our mistakes, because of our sin, we still have the same role, right? We still have to do all the things God created us to do, but now we have the curse, we have the sin, and we have ourselves getting in the way. But yet, let me show you what I mean by this. God created man in his own image and after his likeness. Male and female created he them. But even in the creation of woman, he said this. He created reason. He created a beautiful picture. And I believe Matthew Henry says it well when he said this. The woman was made of the rib of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved." Even in the creation of woman, the picture of selflessness is seen. God said, for this reason shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife. It's a union of total surrender, a surrender of will, desire, and of oneself. And his design is very clear. One woman, one man to be unified in selflessness forever leaving all others behind, including themselves. And you sit there and you say, amen. You shout, that's right, because we know that's true, right? But let me ask you this. Why are we seeing less and less of this picture and this design that God has for us in our, in our nation? Why is it that we see in our holy scriptures, holy scripture, the word of God, Concubines, polygamy, immorality, incest, fornication, rape, homosexuality, premarital sex, and so much more. Why do we see men of God, such as Abraham, Lot, Reuben, Jacob, Gideon, Samson, David, and Solomon, and many others, struggle with sexual sin? Why is it that we only have accounts of very few men, men like Joseph, men like Job, who actually stand for what is right, 
and follow what God's design is. It's because, ladies and gentlemen, we are battling our own selfish desires and lusts. And tonight we are going to get into that. So if you're taking notes, please write down with me. We are battling against ourselves. Look with me back in James chapter 1. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. The Bible says this. And blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Verse 13, let no man say he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Now catch this. God says, blessed is the man who endureth temptation. Why? Because he will receive the reward of those who love him. So God is drawing a direct line for those who endure temptation with those who love him. See, the reason is simple. If we truly love God, if we put him in the, the place of prestige and the pedestal where he should be above all in our own lives, we will resist our own lusts. Because every temptation that we face is of our own lust. That's why he says, if you're going to follow after me, deny yourself daily, take up your cross and follow me. That's what he says. But yet, that's also why he says every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and entice. Because it comes back to the battle against ourselves. And you know what? The devil knows that. The devil knows the tactics. The devil's been here since the very beginning. He was there in the garden. He knows what works, and he knows what can destroy you. And he knows if he can destroy you, he can destroy your family. And if he can destroy your family, then he can destroy the church. And if he can destroy the church, then he can destroy a nation. And so the devil in this world has pulled all the stops with this tactics and the strategies and the bait. And the enemy has been successfully able to change the minds of this nation about sin. He has been able to tactfully and deliberately even change the minds of the church. I want you to see how. So if you're taking notes, the tactic of entertainment, the tactic of entertainment, the rise of sexual content on TV was not an overnight phenomenon. Rather, it occurred gradually over the second half of the 20th century. It's kind of like the, the, the story about the frog in the pot of water. If you put a frog in hot water, it, will, it jumps out, right? But if you put a frog in cold water and then slowly turn up the heat, it what? Boils itself to death. In the 1950s, sex on television was non-existent. Married couples slept in twin beds. Cursing and perversion was not acceptable. All actors were modest and completely clothed. Words like pregnancy were not even allowed to be used on uh, TV. In the 1960s, married couples were allowed now to share a bed. They were allowed to sit up and talk in that bed. And sometimes uh, they would show a little bit more skin depending on the studio. However, the belly button was still not able to be shown. In the 1970s, things began to change significantly. In 1972, a character on a TV show uh, was now allowed to use the word pregnant on live television. But then she went on to ex explain on television how she had chosen abortion. Clothes had now become tighter and less present, and now swimming and beach scenes became more prominent. In the 1980s, the term jiggle TV was termed by a studio executive. The focus for television to be family-oriented has now been scrapped, 
at the age-specific content was now being made. Studios began to create content with now 30% action. Now, again, this is from a studio executive. 30% action and 70% sex. Shows focused on men and women in tight, immodest apparel running around, usually in slow motion. Shows with unmarried partners living together became the standard. And in 1987, the first show allowed for a man's uncovered backside to be shown on television. In the 1990s, acceptability standards were changed forever. In 1991, uh, the first show in 1991 showed a first lesbian kiss on television. In 2001, there was the first gay kiss on television. In 2004, it showed the first teen group sex scene. In 2009, the first threesome was shown on TV. Partial and full nudity became commonplace in corruptness, immorality was now seen everywhere on television. There was no standard of morality. And in the 2000s, there was an elimination of the divisions of age orientation. Political views, agendas are now commonplace in TV. Acceptance of all lifestyles was now the anthem to be heard. If we are going to change the world, now understand their thinking, if we're going to change the world, we have to start with the children. So it wasn't enough to allow teens to see immorality or sexual content. It was enough to let adults see that. But it now has to be presented to our, our children. Cartoons featuring immodest dress and characters with obscene uh, body figures are now being cheered. And now children's, now children's shows now embrace homosexuality with cartoons hosting drag queens. This church is what is seen openly. This is what is on when you go to your own house, this is something that is advertised on commercials. This is what the world is promoting publicly for us to see. But let's talk about the tactics behind closed doors. Now, these are statistics based in 2018 because, honestly, if it was they did a um, survey in 2019 or 2020, I, I don't even know what the numbers would be. They would be crazy. The amount of pornographic material available on the web is jaw dropping. The porn industry's annual revenue is more than the NFL, the NBA, and the MLB combined. It is also more than the combined revenues of ABC, CBS, and NBC. With revenue that large, let me ask you, is there any question why we see it pushed everywhere? Is there any question why we see this going on everywhere that we go? But let me let you look at these crazy statistics. Every day, sorry, every second, 28,258 users are watching pornography on the internet. 28,258. Every second, $3,075.64 are being spent on pornographic material on the internet. Every second, 372 people are typing the word adult, mature, or X-rated in a search engine. That's every second. Every day, 37 pornographic material videos are created in the United States. Now, this is, I want to understand this. This is just the United States. There's a lot more of a market elsewhere, but this is just here at home, okay? 37 pornographic videos are created every day in the United States. 2.5 billion emails containing porn are sent or received every day. 68 million search uh, queries related to pornography are sent every day. That is 25% of all total internet searches. And uh, every day, 116,000 uh, quarries related to child pornography are received. 
With this being said, this is just every day and every second. So you, can you understand how this is affecting us? How this is going to affect us? This is not something that just goes away. This is something that this is going on every second and every day. So it has some effects on Americans. The effects on Americans. About 200,000 Americans are classified as porn addicts. Four million American people regularly visit porn sites. 35% of all internet downloads are related to pornography. 34% of internet users have experienced unwanted exposure to pornographic content through ads, pop-ups, misdirects, links, emails, texts, whatever you might think on the internet, 34% of users have experienced unwanted exposure. And one-third of porn viewers are women. It's not just a thing for men anymore. It's sweeping this nation. It's becoming an epidemic. And you might say, this is crazy. Look how this issue is affecting the world. Look how it's affecting America. But it's also crept into the church. The research studies that I'm about to show you are primarily from Barna Group and Covenant Eyes reveal that the initial exposure to pornographic material starts at a young age and then progresses into adulthood. Access porn is increasingly easy to uh, view due to the vast areas that it's available now, such as printed material, internet, DVDs, television, and so much more. Apps, it's just crazy. So I just want you to see how this affects the church. 70% of Christian youth pastors report that they have had at least one teen come to them for help in dealing with porn in the last 12 months. 68% of church-going men and over 50% of pastors view porn on a regular basis. Of young Christian adults, 18 to 24 years old, 76 are actively searching for porn. 59% of pastors, 59% of pastors said that married men seek their help for porn use. 33% of aged 20, uh, women of 25 and under search for porn at least once per month. Only 13% of self-identified Christian women say that they have never viewed porn. 87 of Christian women have seen porn at least once. 55% of married men and 25% of married women say they watch porn at least once a month. 57% of pastors say porn addictions is the most damaging issue in their congregation. And 69% say porn has adversely impacted the church. And that's a lot, Right? That is a lot of information. That's a lot of material. But that is what we are facing here in America. The Bible says this in Philippians 4.8. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. And because as man, he's diving into this filth, he cannot help but to come out filthy. Is there any wonder why we're seeing such issues in America and lives falling apart? Because as we dive into these things, it's going to leave a lasting impact. It hurts our children. With viewing of pornography increases the odds of teen pregnancy. It hinders the God-given sexual development between a man and a woman in marriage. It also raises the risk of depression because they don't know how to talk to each other because now men and women become objects. And it creates distorted expectations which hinder healthy, normal development. But not only does it affect our children, but it also affects our families and our marriages. According to the National Coalition of the Protection of Children and Families, 47 of families in the United States report that pornography is a problem in their home. 
Pornography use increases the marital infidelity rate by more than 300%. 40% of people identified as sex addicts lose their spouse, 58% suffer considerable financial loss, and 33% lose their jobs. 68% of divorce cases involve one party meeting another one on the internet, while 56% involve one party having an obsessive interest in pornography. Is there any wonder why we see this nation accepting immorality? Is there any wonder why we see families that are being torn apart? Is there any wonder why we see a surge of 135% in sex trafficking and human trafficking? Is there any wonder why we see the homosexuality and LGBT movement being pushed upon us? Is there any wonder why there are apps? Now, understand my heart with this. There are apps that are created for our children where they talk to strangers and they convince them to dance immodestly and provocatively for the world to see. That's wrong. They want us to accept the mire in their clay. They want us to be so numb because we see it everywhere that it doesn't even cause us to think about it anymore. But do you see the tactic he's using? He's using the God-given desire for intimacy between a man and a woman who are married, and he's distorting it. He's using our own lusts against us. He wants us to give in to our own selfish lusts, and he knows it's going to destroy us, right? And that's exactly what it's doing. So what must we do? The third truth is this. We must purpose in our hearts and fight for purity. Purpose in our hearts and fight for purity. The Bible says this, and um, actually, I'll, I'll get to that in a second. We, see, I want you to understand that we have t- seen the tactics. We agree, right, that there is an issue going on. We see that all that junk and the filth, and we know what the numbers say. That is something wrong. But what is the answer? And I'm going to submit to you tonight that the, we must, as a church, as an individual, as a family, as Christians in this nation, we must purpose in our heart for purity. That we can, and that can only happen, church, if we are standing for purity, protecting purity, and fighting for purity. So if you're taking notes, stand for purity. Look with me now at Matthew 5.27. Matthew 5.27. The Bible says this. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time that thou shalt not commit adultery. Verse 28. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Standing. Standing for what is right takes place when we acknowledge the reality of sin because we are standing not on our own beliefs. We're not standing for what Joe Carpenter thinks. We're not standing for even what Pastor Andy... We're standing for what the Bible says and what God says about his word and what truth is. We call sin, sin, and we don't try to justify it. See, many times we excuse Oh, well, is it going to hurt anybody? Nobody else knows about it. It's just my own thoughts. No one needs to know about it. It's only affecting me. But the issue is the issue of the heart. And that's why Jesus said, if you look on a woman to lust after her her in your heart, you commit adultery already with her. And if we're going to fight this battle, it starts by us as the church calling sin, sin. And the issue that we're facing is modern Christianity doesn't want to. It wants to be so inclusive that they don't call sin, sin anymore. They want to accept it, and they want to brag about the grace that they're showing, that it's, it's okay, just whoever will, come on in, and we are not going to judge you. But true Christianity, true love, acknowledges what sin is sin, and then it calls it out and says, listen, you, you don't have to live in that anymore. 
You can repent. You can be free from that sin. You can be free from that bondage. Isn't that exactly what we see in the Corinthian church? A member of that church was having relations with his stepmom. And the church was commending themselves, saying, Look at the grace that we're showing. Look at what we're offering. Look how uh, awesome we are. That we accept this. And when Paul found out about it, he said, Get that adultery out of the church. And when he did that, he said, But listen, once they fix it, once they acknowledge their sin, once they get it right, let them repent and welcome them back into the church. And that's exactly what we need to do. If we're going to stand, it starts with us acknowledging the truth. Immorality is sin. Impure thoughts are sin. Watching filth on TV is sin. Premarital sex is sin. Adultery is sin. And pornography is sin. Not only does it take us standing, but it takes us protecting purity. Look with me at Proverbs 4, 23. The Bible says this, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. See, the biggest lie that we buy into, that the devil tells us about, is that we don't have to protect ourselves. We, we don't need to worry about it, right? If I don't have a problem with it, then I don't need to worry about it. And if you ask a man or a woman who have ruined their life, or ruin their family, or ruin their marriage if they planned on it, you know what they're going to say? Well, I'll tell you one thing. He's not going to say it was part of his goals. He's not going to say that was part of his five- or ten-year plan. It's not what he's going to say. He's going to tell you it sneaks up on you. He's going to tell you that it wasn't something that just happened. It, it was a gradual thing that it just, there it was. See, this is a market. This is sin. That quite literally pursues you. It's not like you can just go away from it. It is everywhere. We, we saw that on the television. We saw that on what you can access from your phones. But I'm telling you, it isn't enough to just acknowledge that there's a problem out there. But we must be protected from it. Ladies and gentlemen, there are so many, so many resources out there for us that we don't have to be burdened by this. Your smart devices, understand this, have built-in parental controls. But you're like, I'm a parent. Yep, it's true. But I would recommend getting it to your spouse, letting them put that code in there. And you know what it does? It blocks adult content. It's as simple, it's free. It's a great access for you. Maybe you say, well, I'm not married or I don't, I don't have anybody. Find an accountability partner and put it on there. Listen, do you, do you want to be embarrassed and all of a sudden just something pop up on your phone and you have to see that filth? No, but it blocks it out for you. There are also several accountability programs that you can purchase for about $10 to $15 a month. Covenant Eyes, Ever Accountable, and Lion are just a few to, uh, to name. And these platforms, many churches use them. Many people use them. And what this one does is it actually tracks your, your use of your devices, not just on your phone, but on your computers. And it will also send you a report of things that you are looking at. So your accountability partner can actually see that and help you with this that you're struggling with or something to protect you from. And you might say, you know what? I don't need that. I don't need that junk. I don't need to worry about it. I don't need to deal with that. I can deal with the temptation on my own. But God says, listen, pride cometh before the fall. We also know this. A heart that is, is our heart is separately wicked. Who can know it? I cannot trust my own heart. So how can I trust myself on my own device? Listen, I want you to understand this. We are all susceptible to sin. Not one of us can say, I won't sin. 
or I won't ever fall into that. We can't say that. We are all able to fall. I'll tell you an illustration of this, okay? This is just practical. Let's say Mr. Carpenter or Joe wants to lose weight, right? And so what he does, he says, I'm not going to eat McDonald's anymore. But you know what happens? It pursues me. How do I know that? Because I have a television and commercials show up. And for some reason, that Big Mac looks better on that screen than it ever did in person. You know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Those fries look extra crispy. But when I have them in my hand, they're squishy. They're not like that. Or a Baconator comes on the screen. Or there's a cake, edible arrangements. And I'm like, I'm trying to fight this. What is going on? It's like they know, right? They know I made a decision that I'm not going to eat this junk. But what happens is as you see it and you're not protected from it, all of a sudden, Betsy's not around. I'm driving in my car. It's only a mile and a half from the school. You see where this is going, don't you? I pull into those golden arches. I get myself a, a Big Mac, mm, large fry and some Coke. And you see how easy that was for me to fall? That's just with food. That's just with food, church. How much harder and easier it is for us to fall when it comes to things that we're doing alone in our, our house or what we see on television or what we see. You don't think the temptation's out there. We see that the temptation's out there. It's time for us to pursue uh, protecting our purity. So I want you to understand this. Every walled city that has been easily taken by the enemy is a city where somebody wasn't on the watch. Isn't that why Jake, uh, Job said this in Job 31? I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I look upon the countenance of a maid? He said, listen, I, I've made a purpose. I made a commitment and I have a game plan. I'm not going to do these things. And that's exactly what we need to do as Christians. We must be ready for the attacks that are ahead. Not only do we, we need to just be ready for it, but we need a fight. We need a fight purity. Genesis 39 tells us of a, a young man. Ah, oh, man. Joseph was just was a man of character. Just through and through. I, I, I'm, I'm looking at his life. I'm like, man, that guy was... Whew, I know you're not supposed to look up to people so, too much, but man, he was awesome, right? This man went from a slave to working as a servant in a house to being the second in that house of Potiphar's, and he has everything that he'd ever want. But yet this woman, Potiphar's wife, oh, she was after him, wasn't she? She was eyeballing him, that strapping, good-looking young man, and she, I'm sure she'd been around that house a few times, and she had her eyes set on Joseph. Not once, not twice, several times she threw herself at him, and you know what he did? He did not just say, well, there she is. There's Potiphar's wife. I acknowledge that she's there. I acknowledge that she's coming and looking at me. That's not what he did. He fought and he ran. He made a purpose. He fought for what was pure. He said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against my God? He fought for what is right. And if we are going to be Christians who win this battle, we have to actively be opposing sin. It's not enough to just see this issue. It's not enough to just acknowledge it. It's not enough to just protect ourselves. We need to fight back for this country. We need to say enough is enough. I don't know about you, but I'm sick of women being objectified as objects. They need to be cherished and protected like God had designed for them to be. I don't know about you, but I don't want to see our young people be enslaved to this filth that's on their phones. I don't know about you, but I, I don't want our children 
have to guard themselves and their eyes from driving down the street or even walking in the mall because of the obsceneness that is there for them to see. See, I don't want future generations to look back at us and say, this group of Christians or this generation of Christians dropped the ball and just let this happen. Christians, it's time to take back this country. It's time to take back our morals. It's time to take back our families. And it's time to take back our minds. So let me ask you, are you ready for the battle ahead? I'm not saying, I'm not going to hear a moment, have you guys bow your heads and say, hey, who's testifying of the pornography that this is doing? I'm saying, who's going to fight? Who's going to protect themselves? Who's going to stand for what God has said is right? Who's going to protect themselves and their family from this filth? Who is going to fight for what is right and make sure the future generations don't have to deal with this? Because if we just twiddle our thumbs and just sit there in a pew, our nation's going to go to pot. So I'm asking you Christians, are you ready for the battle ahead? Every head bowed.